So in some ways, you, you'd you be totally surprised. You know, when I got the call to go out there, it was Tuesday at about 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And they said, you know, can you get out here now? And I, I had to scramble for a flight. I said, look, guys, I can't get there until probably about 1130 p.m. I, I rolled up at the Twitter offices, I think at about 1215 a.m. You know, he's sitting in a conference room, but tons of people are there and the programmers and the engineers and everything. And he had had a very long day. Obviously, he came up to me. We chatted for a few minutes. And then I kid you not, he said to me, he said, look, I know there's a lot going on here. I know there's a lot happening with your account. We want to figure it out. He, he goes, do you need me tonight? Do you need me to stay tonight? And I thought, how crazy this is. Like, this is literally the world's, world's richest man. The guy's running, like, you know, 17 companies, sending us to Mars. And he's asking me if he's allowed to go home to take a nap. And of course I was like, yeah, you could go. We'll, we'll pick this up tomorrow. But that tells you the level of, of how much he cares about what's going on here. And uh, I want to add one similar experience to this. When he came into one of our spaces a while ago, um, I DM'd him like, hey, man, do you want to jump in? I think it was the one with Mark and Reeson. From I think that was it. That was the one, like, yeah. Mark is in the, yeah, and then Mark's in the space. You want to jump in? Um, he's like, yeah, I've got, I've got 10 minutes. And he's like, and then he's like, if it's okay. Uh, and then later he's like, because I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit busy. I'm like, no shit. And he joins like he's on a plane. He's about to jump into a board a meeting at Tesla. An hour and a half. I, yeah, I, I felt. Oh no, it wasn't the. Well, there was one after Mark Andreessen, not the one he stayed for an hour and a half. The one that he one, he jumped in after like twenty, thirty minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wait. I didn't see. I didn't see his message that he only had ten minutes, and I kind of abused his his ten minutes and became I think thirty minutes. Towards the end of that call was like asking him for stuff, right? It's like follow me back. Uh, what about Tesla? You know, it's just crazy, just crazy. <laughs> I felt bad he's, for him. He's also a CEO that he knows his companies better than any CEO. He knows intricate details of every company better than any CEO you'll ever talk to, especially on a high tech level. It's crazy what he what he can do. That guy. Um, so I do want to just give an overview for the audience and for the panelists. So the first segment of the show will be going through. Um, Dave's great thread that went viral and that Elon replied to. Um, I'll pin it above, or actually, if you, I'll, let me retweet it on my account, and I'll pin it above. And what we're going to do is we've got questions. Uh, what I want to do, Dave, if that's okay with you, is I want to go through it bit by bit, kind of break it down to the audience. Um, I know Elon's busy, busy with a bunch of things with the SEC headaches right now, uh, but if he's got time, I, I don't know, I'll ping him maybe to jump in. But I want to go. I want really your take on it, Dave, in this case, and, and kind of going through bit by bit. Um, and any questions that the panelists have, just put your hand up. Audience members, uh, bottom right corner, you've got that purple circle, and you can ask questions there. And we'll be getting the best questions and asking them to Dave as well as we break through the, the the threads. But Dave, while waiting for the audience to come in and giving them another few minutes, what's been your, you know, what what have you experienced after the thread? And I know you posted a YouTube video today that I was watching as well. Would love to to know, get a few updates on any developments since. But also your experience in San Francisco. That would be a good warm-up stage before kicking off the thread. Oh, God. Sure. So, <laughs> so well, San Francisco, I mean, my God, it's, it's dystopian right out of, you know, the most twisted sci-fi novel you could possibly imagine. I mean, the level of homelessness there, and it's not just homelessness. I mean, the level of drug use on the streets and just it feels genuinely like The Walking Dead. I, I lived in New York City most of my adult life. I never once ever felt unsafe on a city street. 
San Francisco is absolutely disgusting. And, and I think in that thread, I put one of the videos I saw of just, you know, the throngs of homeless people there. That was basically outside of the Twitter offices. So you really got to think about that. You got the world's richest man upstairs trying to fix this gargantuan problem with human communication right now. And, and quite literally downstairs, you have just abject, it's not poverty because that's not quite right. Poverty is one thing. You have drug abuse to the highest extent and, and lawlessness. It really feels uh, like a, a, a very, very twisted place, San Francisco, right now. That being said, everything that was going on at Twitter, you know, I felt like I was in a movie. I kept thinking, man, th- this will all make a great movie this one day because every moment of being there, whether I was with an engineer or a product manager or even with Elon himself or David Sachs, who was also there, you know, they, they're discovering. If you ask them one question about, hey, what's going on with my account or what, why was I not seeing anybody in my feed or this or that? They answer one thing, and the second they answer the question, the guys are like, whoa, 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 that, that uncovered something else. So they're constantly playing this whack-a-mole, and as I said in the, in the thread, you know, he feels like he's building a Jenga tower, and, you know, with Jenga, you pull out one wrong piece, the whole thing falls apart, which is why he said to me towards the end, you know, he may have to blow up the whole thing and start anew because it, it's just so deep. And the problems are just so complex. I believe he also called it a flaming dumpster fire, didn't he? He Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that was that was toward that was towards the end as we were wrapping up. Uh, I said to him, uh, you know, I said, Elon, you know, is there anything here that I can repeat back to my audience? Because I said, you know, you've helped me with understand my account and your guys are helping me work through some of this stuff. But I think you need some help on the messaging front, you know, because he is acting as the head product manager and he's acting as the head of PR and the CEO of the company and the COO and the whole thing. And he can do an awful lot more than pretty much all of us, but he can't do everything on his own. So I said, uh, you know, can I send out some kind of Twitter thread about this? And as I said in that first tweet, he said, as long as it's true. And that was pretty amazing because, you know, not only did I have a couple hours with him, but I had hours and hours with, with all of his guys beforehand. He had no idea what they showed me. You know, he, it's not like I went into every little problem that I had with him. We were talking about the high level stuff. So for all he knew, they showed me some crazy, crazy secret stuff that he wouldn't have wanted out there. But he said, as long as it's true. And that's what I did. And I thought, and the coolest part about that, by the way, is that he did it, it, it was clear that he didn't have to think about what he was going to say to me. It, it was just what came out of his mouth. As long as it's true, you say it. And, and that's what I tried to do in the thread. Yeah, he wants to, 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 you know, uh, be, to be part of the fabric of Twitter, right? This is a complete shift from the way Jack used to run things, which was, used to be completely opaque in that the left hand had no idea what the right hand was doing. And it seems like in this Twitter, in Elon's Twitter 2.0, uh, there is, uh, there's more transparency going on and everybody has an idea of what, what, what is really happening, right? Well, he seems to understand what he owns now. Jack, it was very unclear to me, you know, as the CEO, if he had any concept of what Twitter really was or its importance or relevance or anything else. And, you know, I think Jack, uh, I don't think he's like a truly horrible person, but I think he made some massive mistakes that, he, that he's going to regret. I mean, all the times, and I think once under oath to Ted Cruz, if I'm not mistaken, he said that they don't shadow ban. He even tweeted it at me once right after one of the hearings that he specifically said no. Now, I get the word shadow ban, the phrase shadow ban. You can probably define it many different ways. And I forget the, the phrase in the, in the Twitter files that they came up with another phrase for uh, shadow ban. Do any of you guys remember what it was? They didn't actually call it shadow ban. They called it, 
you know, visibility some other probably, filtering. Oh, oh vi- yep. vi- that's what it was. Visibility filtering. So, you know, maybe he's playing some kind of semantic game there, but I can tell you guys, I mean, these, these engineers, I sat with them, you know, and a bunch of guys, you know, sitting around me looking at all these computers, they had an entire system to shadow ban. Like it, the idea that there was no shadow banning is insane. Uh, and I'm not even saying that you can't have reasons for it. You know, I don't run a company like this where, you know, if let's say a big account, got hacked into, let's say Martha Stewart or whoever, Snoop Dogg, somebody got hacked into, and then immediately someone was going to put child porn up. It's like, you need some way internally to take some stuff down. I'm not saying that there there should be no rules. There have to be rules. But but that Jack was so uh, blatantly opaque in his description of what was going on seems very bizarre. And Elon seems to genuinely... Well, clearly, look, he, he bought a, a failing product, a, a product that's losing millions and millions of dollars a year, paid a huge premium on it. He didn't do it for charity. He did it because he seems to believe, and I do believe this, that, that this is the most important tool of communication that we have in our modern times. Yeah, so, and, uh, and I think he wants to fix that. So, so uh, I know Jack Dorsey actually testified to Congress and said, quote, we do not shadow ban. And that's when they said, as, as Alex said, that they call it visibility filtering instead. Obviously, yeah. he didn't use the visibility filtering term during the congressional hearing because, you know, that'd be pretty damning to them. But in your opinion, based on your conversations with with Elon, what do you think he is doing to fix this issue? Because obviously it's pretty complex and he's got to dig through it. But what do you think? Uh, does he feel good about it? Does he I mean, w- what's he planning on doing? The, the impression I got is that he wants Twitter to feel like the way we all sort of felt it was say 10 years ago when it was just sort of a clean feed that was chronological and you see who you follow and then you know they have added this for you feed which i think they're going to change to recommended because the phrase for you is is sort of confusing too um but i think he just wants a clean feed and no suppression and they are going to have some rules that are laid out in the tos uh, and by the way, as a guy that started a tech company, you know, I started Locals, we eventually mer- merged with Rumble. You have to have TOS. You have to have some rules. You have to have some regulations. Uh, and, and then you can have internal discussions about how those things are going to play out and, and how you're going to, uh, you know, how you're going to judge each individual case. But I think he just wants to revert Twitter to that, which is really all of us, all that any of us seem to want. You know, if Twitter tomorrow went back to Twitter of 10 years ago, when it was just freaking clean and you and you saw the people you followed and the numbers sort of made sense, I think we'd all be very happy. I think the problem that he has is that because now he's finding, you know, there's this sort of obvious layer of stuff, which is the labels that they saw that were hitting certain accounts. Uh, but then what they discovered for the first time on my account, which now they're seeing on other accounts, there's this sort of hidden stuff within the codes about misinformation and recently suspended and all of this other stuff. So I think he's struggling to figure out how to actually accomplish that reversion, let's say, to 10 years. And and again, that might be why he has to rebuild the whole thing. Do you think that's something he could do, rebuild the whole thing? I mean, because right now it's like I mean, fixing I'm... a bunch of leaky pipes and, you know, every time you fix a new one, another one springs up. Yeah, that's exactly the way he described it. He also, the, the other phrase that he used, you know, he gave me a couple analogies and metaphors there. He gave me the, the fractal Rube Goldberg machine. He said the thing about Jenga. The other one, he said it was like a, a layer cake, basically a tiramisu. And every time you're going into the cake and you're scooping out more, you're just finding more and more stuff that you don't expect. So I can't give you the technical answer to that. Like, can it be done? Is there a way to clone the good parts and, and the site not go down? 
and all that. I, I honestly, I don't know the answer to that. My guess is they're probably, you know, it's not like Twitter is all that complex if you went back to the basics of what it was. Um, but I just don't know the answer to that. I think it didn't seem to me, it didn't seem to me that they were going to do that tomorrow. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the issues, and he did touch on this, uh, during his conversation with George Hotz, right? Uh, during the, uh, engineering phone call that it was, that was public here, right? Not, I mean, a space, uh, where they talked about how the code was essentially a whole bunch of different code bases all put together in a kind of like a, what I would call a fuck shit stack, right? Where everything's a mess and it's not part of the same code and it just sort of interlaid. Right? I think the uh, the uh, the tiramisu cake is a pretty good example of that, right? That that's a good metaphor to describe what Twitter actually is. It's not a single product; it's like nine products wrapped into one, and they have to untangle each of these products. So, like, you know, fixing one part of the code actually messes up like sixteen parts of the uh, other code that you can't see. He mentioned something, and I, I don't want to – don't fully quote me on this because I might be getting part of this wrong. But he mentioned something, how they had an issue with Twitter Spaces maybe a week ago, and they tried to tweak something. And then it took the Android app down for for a day or something. <laughs> yeah, so those, those are the levels – yeah, so those are the levels of things that, that he's dealing with there. So he's going to – I suppose at some point is just going to have to make a call on this, whether you, you keep going in and trying to fix this thing as it's sinking or whether you, you start it anew. You know, that that really is a business decision that that I'm, I'm sure he's not thrilled to have to make. Well, and, and what's interesting is when it comes to Twitter spaces is, you know, it's such a new uh, product that, that actually Twitter had to respond to what's going on over uh, uh, on Clubhouse. And so there's probably newness there. But the other thing is being I'm not a I'm an intermediate amateur coder. But I, I kind of, it kind of seems to me that the other problem that they're having, maybe, and I'm curious how he might have uh, discussed this with you, is that you had uh, various levels administratively in Twitter trying to inject various things, whether it was, you know, doing shadow banning stuff or whatever else that that really kind of messed up the code. Did did he give you any indication of how messed up the management structure was at Twitter prior to that that might have attributed to this? Yeah, I mean, I think he feels that, well, look, first off, there's the easy answer on that, which is you know that he fired half the company already, right? So they had 7,500 employees. They have about 3,500 now. So if you're going to fire half the company, and remember, everybody said, oh, the whole thing's going to be taken down. It's not going to work. You know, your exit from Twitter is imminent. Um, he obviously had people on the inside. I don't think he knows whether, and, and this I can't give you like the cleanest, you know, answer on, uh, but I don't think he knows whether they really got rid of everybody that was doing nefarious stuff. And I think that was what surprised them. I think the reason I got the call on Tuesday to come was because for, for about two weeks, I had been working with these engineers looking into my account. And a lot of the things they were finding were kind of, you know, they were things that they sort of knew related to shadow banning. It was only when they went deep into the code did they find these three extra things. One was on misinformation. I think one was recently suspended. Um, recent abuse the strike. One, was, was the other one? Recent abuse strike. Right. And what they then found on the recent suspension, one that they thought was super interesting, was one of my suspensions had been from about six months ago when I all I had done was screenshot that Jordan Peterson had been suspended, and I got suspended for that. But what they realized was when I got unsuspended, because Twitter said it was an error, which only happened after, you know, enough of my friends on Twitter made a big stink about it, that it actually, whatever the, whatever the functionality of the suspension was within the code, that remained. So that really shocked them. That meaning that if you got hit with something, it's one thing 
to have repercussions, meaning your band or your visibility or whatever is diminished, that kind of thing. It's one thing when they can see it. But now when you're being unsuspended for the last six months, my account has been hit with some level of censorship. And that's the part that they still don't know. So I think that's what instigated the call, actually, for me to get out there. It's really um, interesting. So, Dave, so yeah, I'll, with, Sam, with... yeah oh, before I give you the mic, Sam, so I want Sam yeah, and no Alex to ask a question. I see all the hands go up. What we're going to do, Dave, is uh, I'll let Sam and Alex just ask a quick question. And then I want to kind of go through a process of your experience from walking into the door um, and then, you know, your, your first impression after speaking to the staff and then your discussion with Elon and then go through the thread. And then we'll open up the discussion for the panelists to ask uh, questions. But, yeah, Sam and Alex, I'll give you two final questions before we kick off the, uh, yeah, the story. Be- be brief. I mean, I just think it's really interesting because Elon's actually gone through this with both te- Tesla and SpaceX that he attempted to kind of reverse engineer, uh, you know, old ro- rocket technologies, the Lotus, etc. And after a year or two, he gave up and started from scratch um, and, and created these things from a brand new platform. So it's interesting to hear that. My, my, I mean, my, my question, uh, Dave, maybe a bit generic, is did you get any impression of any specific priorities any kind of number one goals that Elon has for Twitter that he wants to try to fix as soon as possible? Um, no, not specifically. It was, it was everything. That's why everything that he discussed, it was either the Jenga metaphor or the, the Rube Goldberg machine or the cake. It was, it was sort of everything. Like he couldn't really, uh, you know, a couple of times he, he said during the conversation, he's like, my brain's overloading right now. Like it was 1 a.m. and he had been asked four jillion questions. And I think as someone might have referenced earlier, I think he had testified in a lawsuit earlier in the day. The next day was the Tesla quarterly earnings. So the guy was trying to do four billion things and, and then have random people online ask him about shadow manning and trying to fix that. So I didn't get a sense that it was like, oh, there's one thing we got to fix tomorrow. If anything, I think he was looking at it a little bit more like, oh, if we fix one thing tomorrow, we just opened up 10 other problems. Alex, I'll give you the mic just for a final quick question, and then uh, we'll kick off the discussion. Go ahead, Alex. And Alex, you've got a pretty good story as well that relates to this topic. <laughs> yeah, and then I was going to say, so uh, I actually just shared a tweet up in the Nest, um, a similar experience to you. So I was one of the accounts that was locked out when I tweeted a image of uh, Zelensky with the Ukrainian flag before Congress, and I was locked out because it was flagged as non-consensual nudity. Um, and then, as yeah, I know it's hilarious. As you as you can see, oh like after that day, um, I experienced what you basically said—the experience of being suspended or uh, visibility filtered or whatever. I was gaining at a minimum like a thousand followers a day uh, to like two thousand. And then right after that, I was either losing followers or gaining like 10 followers. So I just wanted to comment on that, that other users have seen that. And I, I had recently seen that. And then also, did did they say they were looking into that or did they end up getting a conclusion on um, like what those labels actually were? No, they don't have a conclusion on that yet. Like they found the labels on, and it wasn't just my account. Then, then basically I gave them a list of accounts and I tried to be as fair as I could in terms of political allegiances and all that stuff. Uh, and they started finding things all over the place. And then there were bizarre accounts where you certainly would have thought they would have been hit and it didn't look like they were hit. But as he said, that doesn't mean they're not hit. It just means that they haven't got to that layer of the cake yet. So that, that I think is kind of where they're at with everything. It's like, man. You open this Pandora's box and you you don't know what's going to come out of this. Thank you, Dave. I think, uh, you know, because I think you fixed my account. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do what Uh, I can. Thank you. you. Appreciate it. 
I just started uh, so, unplugging machines over there, and it seemed to fix things. So you know, it's good stuff. Dave, I want to I want to go through the the experience, and then we can go through it. Uh, along with the thread, because the thread is is really well written step by step. But I want to get your experience first before digging into Twitter and Elon. The office itself, I think you talked about it in your YouTube video today, how it felt like a deserted office. I'd love to get a better sense of of what it feels like inside, along with the sentiment around the employees there, because obviously they've they've had a bit of a shock this year or last end of last year with half of the employees uh, getting sacked. Sure. Uh, just, I do want to say to you guys, just for brevity's sake, I only have about a half hour because I do have something at about six. So I'll, I'll try to be somewhat Deal. brief and, and get to as much as possible. And I'll try to Perfect. buy a few, uh, buy a few extra minutes if possible. Um, the office was very weird. Uh, you know, you see this, this place that, you know, we've all seen the videos on TikTok and everywhere else and these Facebook employees going into Meta and the Twitter people going in there and they got their coffee and their wine and their video games and foosball machines. Like there's all of that stuff. But there's very few people there. Now, granted, I was there, although I was there at some points throughout the workday, I was mostly there with him late night. So you don't expect, you know, thousands of people to be there. Uh, but, you know, one of his frustrations has been that they went to rem- uh, remote work and basically no one's showing up to work. So where I spent most of my time there, there's a main conference room upstairs. That seems to be where he hangs out and, you know, he's got, obviously he's got security and his assistant there. And then there's a whole bunch of engineers that are coming and going. And he's basically, from what I could tell, he was basically just kind of bringing in people one at a time and, and trying to solve problems. And, you know, so our meetings kept getting delayed throughout the day because obviously everyone goes in there and then it's really wild. I mean, he gives everybody as much time as he possibly can. It, it was kind of shocking. Uh, but the office itself, you know, I use the word dystopian before you see this freaking massive this huge you know kitchen with that looks like you know you'd be feeding as you know he was paying what a couple million bucks a year to feed these children in essence and you see just nobody there and you go downstairs and they've got all these you know beer taps and just nobody's there and things look kind of disorganized and you know they still have some of the woke messaging on the on the bathrooms about all genders and all that stuff so there's a lot that needs to be done that's more of the nitty gritty of how he, he just needs, I think, somebody to come in and, and really clean up like the, the day to day stuff. That's sort of separate than all this code stuff. And how was the sentiment uh, among the employees that you've spoken to? It was really good, actually, you know, because I guess the people that have stuck around or that he allowed to stay around and especially ones that were probably there late night, you know, roughly in his circle, like they love what's going on there. So the two guys that I was spending most of my time with who were pretty high level, Guys, they were, they were thrilled to be there. They're relatively new to the company, meaning that they were brought in some, from somewhere else to, to help him fix it. I don't, I don't know if they, uh, would want me to share where they came from. Uh, but you know, they were there literally to solve problems and, you know, everyone's kind of walking around with a laptop in hand. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you see these guys because they're all staring at their laptop, wandering around. Nobody's looking up. And, uh, I would say the, the general sentiment, like, you know, there was, there was, a, first off, Elon himself, he's funny as hell. He was sharing memes with us. And when we sat down in the first meeting, he was sharing some funny video about coding. Like he's laughing a lot. Like he really is having fun. Like he gets the seriousness of it. Uh, but that was sort of one of my main takeaways. Like this isn't just some like pure businessman who comes in just to crack heads and, and turn this thing turn it around it was also like he really does seem to be enjoying life so i I think that kind of permeated at least the at least the 100 or 200 people that were pretty much in the area that i was in um this is uh, this is in line with mark andreessen's chat in in which he said like the elon you guys see on twitter the elon you guys see in interviews 
is the Elon that we see behind the scenes, unfiltered. And mm-hmm. I, I got that same sense from your discussion with him, Dave. Yeah, he was, I'm telling you, he was funny. Like he, he kept joking about things. And, you know, I kept thinking, I was like, oh man, I, I only have a few minutes with him. Like I didn't know how long he was going to give me. And I really wanted to dive in some, to some of the issues that obviously everyone listening to this is concerned about. So, you know, the more jokey he was, I was like, oh, he's cutting into my time. But then at some point, maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes into the second meeting, I was like, oh, this is what he does. He's really enjoying himself. And then you just have to kind of let it, let it fly. I will tell you that at one moment, maybe an hour in, I, uh, I said something about, you know, just like the general state of politics. And I mentioned this in the Twitter thread. That's when he really like also lit up separately because then he could shut off his Twitter brain for a minute and just talk about what's going on here culturally. And obviously, uh, for anyone listening to this that that knows of me, you know, he's had a very similar political evolution as I have. So we really kind of vibed on that thing because I think he's he's realizing that politics has kind of changed massively over the last couple of years. And that that's become pretty clear, too, from his tweets. Um, another thing you talk about in your thread, uh, and I'll read out the thread very briefly to get more a bit more information from this, because most of the questions were based on this. I think part of the thread, this one got the most views. Accounts aren't just hit with labels that are obvious to insiders. They now found more, quote, secret labels which are causing shadow bans. My account was hit with all three. Recent abuse strike, recent misinformation strike, and recent suspension strike. And then you talk about the tweets that are labeled not safe for ads, which affects visibility in the timeline. So my question to you then, Sebastian, welcome to the stage. We've got 30 minutes with Dave, and then we're going to open up the panel. But it's always good to have you. Um, uh, Dave, the question that I have for you, and that's a question from the audience as well, is um, what are they doing regarding those labels? Are they just removing them all? Are they still trying to understand them? Do you have any idea what their plan is in relation to those hidden labels? I, I don't know yet. They literally found it on Tuesday, which is when I got the call to come. Then I had my first late night meeting with him, the brief one, on Tuesday night. And then the, the bigger meeting was on Wednesday. So it was, it truly was happening in real time. So once they discovered it on my account, I think they knew what to look for on some other people's accounts. And then they started finding it there. I will tell you one thing that you'll find interesting related to engagement is that when this not safe for ads, uh, label got put on some people's accounts, I'm sure you guys all remember when Elon took over before Elon, I basically, and I kid you not, I think in 10 years of Twitter or whatever I've been doing, I see, I saw maybe 20 ads, like one ad a year, two ads a year, something like that. Then then there was that moment for those two weeks when Elon took over where it seemed like every fifth or seventh tweet was an ad. Well, if you got hit with that not safe for ad label, what would happen is your tweet could not be above an ad or below an ad. So suddenly he gets all these new ads coming in and now there's this secret label that hits you if you're above or below. You could actually really see that's like one nugget where you can really see how that would infect, uh, affect engagement. So that was one interesting piece that felt like something kind of concrete that we got. to. That's like a new piece of information to me. I, I had no idea they had a, you know, can't be below or above an ad. So I, I could really see how that would impact, you know, people who are prolific tweeters, you know, like everybody in here. Uh, tweets a lot, and so if we can't appear below an ad or above an ad, that that's it. That that kills our account. Right. So when we all saw that great jump, right. So for those two three weeks when he took over, and he there were two things that they kept talking about. There was an Elon bump, meaning there was just like a cultural excitement about him being there, so more people got on the platform, and then it was also World Cup. So there were two huge things happening. So there may have been some kind of cliff after that of just you know 
World Cup was over. There was a little dying down of of Elon excitement, that sort of thing. But then when you factor in something like this, and this was just the one that they could come up with at the moment uh, related to the ads, that there were all these new ads and now a huge amount of power users were probably hit with this label. That does explain some of it. So that that's, you know, it, it really, it felt like a mystery movie. Like, okay, if we solve this, well, then what else are we going to uh, extrapolate after that? My question, the next question I have, Dave, is something you've touched on in the thread and you've touched on in the video. And something I think, the panelists would know about, but a lot of people in the audience wouldn't. And again, for the audience members that just joined, if you've got questions for, for Dave and other panelists in, in the 20 minutes, bottom right corner in that purple circle, you can put them there and we'll go through them. Um, Dave, what triggered this interview, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was you expressing the concerns you had with Twitter. Because when Elon first took over Twitter, there was a bump. And, you know, the metrics were sky high. And obviously, you, you, you said that the World Cup played a role. The excitement around Elon played a role. Can you tell us more about those metrics and what you saw prior to Elon when Elon took over and how the metrics look now? Because uh, I know you did a deep dive into it beforehand. Yeah. So, I mean, my, I, you know, I, we, we obviously did that deep dive on my account. So what we saw on my account was basically... Uh, from the point that I, I have been suspended twice on Twitter. The first one was in July of 21 and I was suspended for saying that vaccines were not working as promised and that mandates were coming. Both of those things turned out to be true, obviously. I was suspended and then unsuspended maybe two days later after they said there was an error. But of course now we know from the Twitter files it was not an error. It was either from someone at the government or, or an employee at Twitter just, you know, going out going rogue basically that was one suspension and then i was also sp suspended uh i think it was this past september uh for this tweet where i just all i did was comment on jordan peterson's suspension so after both of those we immediately noticed major drops in my account uh in terms of retweets visibility and everything else to the point that in september i said on my show and i i really meant it at the time that my goal was to leave Twitter by the end of the year. I, I felt it was a complete waste of time because my engagement, which once was awesome, I could say any silly thing or put a, post a funny meme or link to my show. Uh, it had become just utterly useless thing where I used to get 5,000 retweets on anything. Basically I was down to 20. I wasn't seeing any responses, you know, just the whole thing kind of fell apart. This is the sort of anecdotal stuff that they're trying to figure out from people. But but again, they still haven't been able to put all of those pieces together. That probably is why he's considering the, the nuclear option on this thing, because I don't know how long you can run a company that you're losing money on while you while you just keep discovering or uncovering more problems. What, what do you mean? What do you mean by the nuclear option? Well, that's my words, not his. But basically, when he said that he may have to start anew, meaning that that at some point, you're just plugging holes on this sinking ship that maybe you really have to rewrite the entire code bottom up and, and create like, you know, in essence, an, an alternate Twitter and let this this version of it die. Dave, Dave, you alluded to how how you and Elon went through a similar political evolution. Do you do you feel that perhaps um, the ill treatment that Elon received from from, you know, Sanders and Warren and, and a couple of sort of far, far left politicians may have been a major motivation behind his purchase of Twitter? Oh, 100%. I, I can't say that he said that to me, but judging by the way he lit up in that conversation, and when I, I said to him one thing that he really, I think I mentioned this on the show today, um, I said something like, in, you know, in a sane world, a guy like me 
would would be a lefty, but we don't live in a sane world. And that leads me to much more libertarian ideas on most things. And, and that's just how my political evolution has been. And I'm sure you guys remember when he posted that cartoon uh, talking about how the whole political landscape and the Overton window has shifted. So I do think partly what's going on here is the guy basically all he has said, and I did not hear anyone, you know, it's so funny that you listen to anything that they talk about Twitter on CNN or read in the New York Times. It's like they make it seem like he hired all these far right people and they just want to spread hate and Nazis and nonsense and all of this stuff. And it's like, it was so obvious to me, the guy just wants an even playing field. That's it. And that's all we wanted. You know, where we started this conversation back a while ago, it was like he just wants to revert it to 10 years ago. But the problem for, I would say, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and, and AOC and that crew is they flourish in a atmosphere when certain voices are censored. But on an even playing field, when you can honestly debate these ideas and not call for censorship and everything else, that's where they start to struggle. That's why they're calling him far right and everything else. It's not because he holds what position does he hold that's far right? I mean, does anyone honestly know his position on abortion or whatever? Like, I tend to think, well, he said it himself. He's only voted Democrat until this past year where he voted for Myra Flores in Texas. And, and he did say he would vote for DeSantis. But it's like the idea that a lifelong Democrat who was a media darling his whole life now is somehow far right. Uh, it's just crazy. So I have a couple of questions for Aaron or, or for Dave, but I want to go to Aaron first. Yeah, thanks, Dave. This is uh, Aaron Cariotti. I'm one of the private plaintiffs on the Missouri v. Biden case, which mm-hmm. is we're alleging we're alleging government collusion with social media censorship. So, I'm interested uh, in your time at Twitter or the other investigation you've done into what happened to your own account. If there was ever any indications that um, any of the labels you were tagged with or any of the the deboosting, shadow banning, was at the behest of um, government agencies or government's preferred policies that they seem to be doing a lot of this, particularly on COVID policy. You mentioned one tweet, I, I think about the vaccines. Yeah. Uh, but the more we dig into the discovery on this case, the more we're finding that the government was doing this on other issues as well. So just, you know, wondering if you got any sense uh, either from the folks at Twitter or your own look into what happened to your own account whether this was entirely Twitter or Twitter, in some cases, acting at the behest of federal agencies. Yeah, unfortunately, you're not going to be that satisfied with my answer for for your purposes, which is no, I did not get an indication as we were discovering this stuff, whether it was nefarious actors inside or whether it was directed by somebody inside or whether it was because of government pressure. The one that I was really curious about was that July 21 one, because to me right. at the, you know, that was the height of the pandemic. It was when, you know, it's hard for us all to kind of roll the, the clock back on that, but it was before mandates. It was just as they started talking about mandates and it was just when they started saying, you know, that the vaccines weren't working. So I was very ahead yep. on that. And my question to them was, well, this is, if there was ever a tweet that was like the most perfect version of a tweet that the government w- might want to take down, this is it. Um, you know, there were so many things we were trying to do that I honestly don't think I got an answer on that, but I, I will follow up with them on that one. Great. Thank you. Um, Nick, I know you got two questions. I'll ask one until you unmute. Um, Dave, I know you said that Elon told you, you know, when you asked him, is there anything you don't want me to share? He said, just share whatever's, whatever's true. Is there anything that Elon told you or an employee told you when they requested specifically, they said, 
they've just that particular point keep it confidential which is very normal in any business was there anything at all they asked you not to share or zero no zero absolutely that's zero. crazy that's absolutely ridiculous zero. yeah nothing that's insane yeah go ahead of course sebastian right so first things first dave it's been too long um seb how are you my man good 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 it's been too long listen um you are a person watcher you 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 can get inside people if if you haven't seen it uh i did an hour long interview with dave and i answered things i've never answered on other interviews it's it's at the top of my twitter feed so i'm going to ask you to use that eye so so that the the ho- the show host the kind of analytic eye because for me with just a couple of interactions i've had with with elon in the white house and and now thanks to mario's uh, spaces is, and this is not meant to denigrate. I see a genius level individual, probably on the spectrum, who's found a new toy, and that new toy is politics. I don't think listening to him for the last few months on that big call we had with 90,000 people on Twitter Spaces, he's like, he's like a kid who's found politics. He didn't have a well formed political identity, maybe kind of some amorphous libertarianism. And it's his commitment to freedom of speech that is guiding what he's doing today, but it's still very unformed. What, what impression did you get of his political identity or maturity when you spoke to him? Yeah, I, I actually think that's a great question. I think, you know, it's something like he has realized how dangerous the woke thing is. And it's not because he's a political beast. It's because he's he's a cultural beast and he likes to build things. And if you like to build things, you want to be surrounded by the best people. You simply don't care about skin color or gender or, you know, sexuality or any of those things. So I think a lot of what now has it seems like everything he's saying is political, but in the same world, this stuff is not political. Uh, so if he says anything about, you know, he makes a joke and it's related to the trans stuff or any of this, it seems like, oh, he must be a Republican now or something like that. But I, but I think you're right. He's probably, I think he's probably mostly a libertarian. He's probably happy to take government handouts and tax cuts for his companies when they're available. But that would be the same thing as Donald Trump, as Trump would always say, you know, if you guys don't like the tax laws, then rewrite them. I'm just using your laws. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think he's like purely, purely political, but I also think that's sort of why when I mentioned that he lit up, when I talked about my own political evolution and I was a lefty my whole life and all that, I think that's what he's realizing right now. He's realizing, boy, there's something really wrong with the world. There's something really, really wrong with the Democrat party. Um, and, and I think I I don't want to misquote his tweet. Maybe one of you have it you know, right before the election, he basically said, you you sort of have to vote for Republicans. And that's something I've been saying on my show for quite some time. I, I always say you don't have to be a Republican, but you can't be a Democrat. And I think that that's sort of where he's at with things right now, that he he likes America. I think he likes freedom. He likes capitalism. He likes creativity. And if you like any of those things, you cannot be for this top-down control that somehow now is connected between the Democrat Party you know, some level of the deep state and most of what big tech has become. And, and one last thing that's very helpful. When when I got to ask him a question on, on one of the big spaces, the thing I found worrisome is I asked to see, you know, more of the receipts, you know, more divulging of the government working with, with Twitter, not just the DNC. And he gave this very kind of not standoffish, but off, you know, hands-off answer when he said, I think there's some really great smoking guns, 
but but Matt, I'll have to ask Matt and and, and Barry. Did was your impression that he's like he's not delving into this stuff? He's just running a company and he's letting these two journalists do it for him. Um, well, first off, I, I don't know what level of communication he has with them at this point. You know, he did have a little bit of a falling out somewhat publicly with Barry when she uh, said, you know, she sent out some tweet about the new regime after he banned a couple of journalists for basically doxing his plane. So I'm not I'm not sure in terms of where he's at with them specifically. But I would say the, the broader answer to that is that the guy is running all of these freaking companies. He's he's lifting. I mean, the fact that he's responding to people on Twitter. Twitter and trying to escalate, uh, you know, tickets to people and, and help all these people out. You know, it's some degree of of in in over your head, but I don't really mean it like that because I don't think he's in over his head. I think he wants all of this and he's doing the best he can, but he may just not have the answers to all of those things. So I that's where I would just that's what I kept thinking the entire time. It's like if I walk out of here and he says you can't say anything, it's like I would have accepted that too. And if he had said you can't even say you were here. I would have accepted that because it was like, all right, he was trying to do something. He happened to then say to me, you know, <laughs> do whatever you want as long as it's true, it's which is amazing. Yeah. It's a bandwidth issue. Yeah. It, it might just be a bandwidth issue, truly. Like, you got to remember, <laughs> think about the other things this guy is trying to accomplish. He's trying to put us on Mars. And now he's also dealing with, you know, that, uh, you know, some yokel is upset about their blue check. Thanks, Dave. Hey, Dave. Uh, Justin Hart, hey, hey. when you left Twitter, and you went north to Civic Center Plaza and you saw the, the wonderful degradation of my old hometown. Oof. Did you, did you talk to Elon about that crazy mess? What were his thoughts on his, oh I mean, yeah, it, we, it's really like a block north, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it was everywhere. It, it is truly everywhere in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, we made a couple jokes about it. Like basically he, he just cannot believe what San Francisco has become. I tried to link it to a, a lot of the politics that I talk about on the show often about how these big governments and the endless putting of money into things and welfare state doesn't work and all that. But I didn't want to get too lost in that. So every time we went too far down that road, I felt like I had to kind of bring it back because, again, he was being super generous with his time, but I just didn't know when he was just going to say, okay, we, we got to wrap it up. It's it's 1.30 a.m. or whatever it is. Um, but the state of San Francisco, I mean, that should be on television every day uh, because I have never seen anything like it, and I watched all 11 seasons or whatever it is of Walking Dead. Hey, did, did you get a chance to talk about family too? Well, first of all, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a new father. Yeah. I'm I'm a father of eight myself. I know Elon's <laughs> got got me beat, but uh, you have two newborns that are at least just a just a, just yeah. under a year old now. Well, thanks uh, for taking the time to come on. You doing okay? And did you guys get a chance to talk about family? I know that's one of his big issues too. Yeah, no, I, we've got a, a five month and a three month here. It's, it's going incredibly well. They're happy and healthy. So that's the most important thing. Um, no, we, we did not talk about family at all. It didn't, it didn't come up. I, I gave him a quick bio on, you know, I'm married. I just had kids, like something like that, but nothing. Then it was just like, let's get into the stuff. Alex, Caroline. Hi. Um, so yeah, just another question again. Um, so I know they've been doing, uh, Twitter amnesty and I just had shared a tweet. Uh, Twitter safety. Um, so I know they haven't really cleaned up a lot of the specific policies yet. Um, 
But in this tweet that I shared that they say that they're going to be taking less severe actions um, on tweets that violate uh, terms of service instead of permanent suspensions for previous violations that they're going to be, you know, limiting the reach on things. I was wondering if you got um, to discuss any potential changes to the Twitter policy as as far as, you know, how it's worded, because because I know like in past he said that there hasn't been any real change to the policy and policies being enforced as it's been previously written. Um, but this tweet from Twitter safety from two days ago, uh, says that they're going to be taking less severe actions. So I was wondering if yeah, they've gone to we, kind of that. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't get too much into policy because we were so in the nitty gritty of what they were finding in the code. And that, that seemed to be really where we should focus. And then, as I said, looking at this list of other accounts and then, you know, figuring out what was going on with my account. Um, but for sure, I, I, and this was discussed with, uh, with David Sachs as well, like getting some of the messaging cleaned up. That, that really was what I wanted to do. Like I really was able to accomplish what I wanted to do there, which is, that I know that I personally feel better about what's going on at Twitter because I saw it and I relayed that information. And now, you know, that Twitter, that thread went, went crazy viral. And now it's like a lot of other people. I looked at the responses and a lot of people are just like, okay, now I feel a little bit better. Like, let's see what he can do. And I think that's what he needed. You know, he, he thinks he's, you know, Superman or Iron Man, whatever it is. And it's like, he's, he's one dude, he's living like a crazy extraordinary life, but like he does need some help on some of this. So I think the fact that like I was able to go there, see what I saw, report, I'm not even a reporter or a journalist, but, but say what I saw. Um, I think that gives him a little bit of a leash so that the policies, uh, hopefully will follow that as, as stuff gets cleaned up. Uh, I want to go to Caroline and Matthew for the final two questions, and then me, Nick, and Jim will, and Ian will wrap it up with with a few more points, Dave, because I know you have to go, and then we'll open yep. up the panel for our for our speakers that we have scheduled afterwards to continue the discussion. Uh, Caroline, I'll give you the next question. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, Mario. Um, thanks for being here, Dave. I yep. was curious, based on your visit to Twitter, what would you say the future of Twitter looks like if you had one like great takeaway for us what would that be i i think it really can be all of the things that we all wanted it to be remember when twitter was fun and there were the hashtag games and it wasn't all just endless destruction and all of that stuff uh, but more importantly i think it can actually be a, a tool for good you know it's like i think partly what's going on in the world right now is everything is so messed up because we've been we've been re- reflecting the world back to us through a funhouse mirror like when when social media was was right at the beginning and maybe by design it could only be right for so long but you know when we all got on all these things 20 years ago you could get some honest level of feedback from people and you could communicate pe- with people in a new way and connect with people that you lost and all that stuff and it was awesome. And then unfortunately, whether it was because the government came in and started pushing this stuff or, or the woke activists at Twitter or whatever, or, or the diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, groups at Facebook, whatever it is, came in and they distorted everything. And then we all became kind of crazy. Uh, one of the things I say on my show all the time is if you, if you stayed roughly sane, in the last couple of years, I give you a lot of credit. Like you're good in my book, as long as you're not completely insane. And a lot of people did go completely insane. So I think, I really think this, and this gets to Seb's question too. He's just trying to reverse it back to that because he wants some level of normalcy and cannot believe how crazy it got. And I think, I think that's how most of us realize it. And, you know, years ago, I was always telling people Twitter isn't real life. And that, and that kind of became a meme in, in and of itself now. 
But what happens on Twitter does leak into the real world. So we have to get that funhouse mirror to revert back to, you know, a dressing room mirror where you can honestly see what's going on. I've got uh, I've got a great audience question before you go, Matthew. And that question is from Joa Santos, who's also been on the panel. Um, did Elon talk much about X.com, which he owns and wants to make it into a super app, uh, using Twitter to do it? Have you spoken to him about that? No, not not one word. Nothing that I heard. That's a really interesting one. I'd love anyone on, in the in the audience that knows anything about X.com do DM us, and hopefully the panelists that we have coming up could give us a bit of insight. I know it's a, a lot of it is hush hush. Uh, that Andrew, doesn't seem sorry, like Matthew. it should be my last answer, though. So I gotta I gotta do at least <laughs> one more. <laughs> yeah, I will do it. Last one, Matthew. I'll give you the final question, and then I'll ask one question after that. Kind of your final thoughts sure. on everything, Dave. Matthew, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on, Dave. Uh, so just wanted to highlight because the conversation started off with sort of, you know, whenever the, the, the negative perception that we all have of Twitter and the, the, the leadership of the last five or seven or ten years, like the, the word that absolutely encapsulated is shadow banning. And I want to highlight that it's the five-year anniversary of when Project Veritas, you know, this was an internal mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. Come up with this, uh, you know, as an audience where we coined it. This was their word. James and, and PV team was January 2018, had a video with multiple videos, a series with uh, Trust and Safety, with Twitter engineers. And they described, oh, we just put, you know, those MAGA people, those guys with the pickup trucks and their uh, squirrel tails or shotgun racks, we shadow ban them. And they even talked about the different gradations of the algorithm, how people appear. And obviously there's a moral issue because they're not sharing that. And they're a public accommodations company. Obviously, there's regulation of uh, wedding cake and pizzerias in Indiana. So, I mean, there's certainly some disingenuousness there. They also talked about something that has never really come up again, which is staff would go through celebrities' DMs. Dave, just quickly, Matthew, mm-hmm. so you know, Dave has to jump off in like yeah. three minutes. Yeah. I was just going to yeah. ask if... Was My phone may discussion? die too, so yeah. <laughs> I'm with was you. Was there any yeah. discussion of some of these moral issues? Obviously, we don't want to have a Sharia morality police, but I mean, the yeah. fact that there weren't controls before, are there going to be a better coded set so employees cannot be malfeasant in the way they abuse information access? Yeah, Dave? Matthew, I'll try, I'll try to give you a longer answer next time I see you in Miami for drinks, but I think the, the real answer to that is it was the subtext of everything. He, he does not want this lack of transparency. He wants an even playing field. So it's not like we sat there like really discussing the philosophical underpinnings of all of that the entire time. But it is clear that's why he bought the thing. He didn't, I, I don't, I really don't think he bought the thing to make money. I think he damn well wants to make it profitable. That's, that's absolutely clear. Um, but he bought the thing because he realizes how dysregulating it's been to society. And, you know, when you're the richest guy in the world, may, maybe you have an opportunity to, to leave the world a little better than you got it. So I think that's probably like the short answer to it. Dave, I want to ask you a question. I value your time. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, well, I'll let you jump off to your meeting. Thank you so much for the thread. If you have final words before jumping off for the audience, please do so, and then we'll kick it off to the panel that we have coming up. Dave, the mic is yours for a final word for the audience. Sure. Well, this has been an absolute blast, and I appreciate you guys inviting me. And, you know, it's, it's just such a bizarre world we're in. But this this spaces and, and all of the things that we're all trying to do here, like, I, I don't know, obviously, I don't know that much about everybody that's in this group. But like, we could talk about this stuff. And it doesn't matter if we agree politically, or anything else. I think if we take the spirit of what this country was founded upon about individual rights, and then we apply that, 
to what what we all want Twitter to be or what most of us want Twitter to be, which is a place that respects that. And you know what? People might say mean things to you, but we shouldn't be destroying everybody and ruining people's careers and all of this stuff. And, and especially what we shouldn't be doing is censoring uh, political ideologies to the point that they either go underground where they're just going to continue spreading or or where you get this distortion back. That's what I'm worried about more than anything else. You know, I, I keep saying this on my show. It's like, man, if I could just snap my fingers, and I think this is true for most of us, if we could just snap our fingers and go back to 1995, right? It's and it's before all this nonsense, and 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 be warned what th- what is going to happen because of all this. It's awesome. My my life has become better than I can possibly imagine because of all this. But it also comes with something very, very dangerous, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And it's like we, we now have a chance through this guy to maybe reset some of this stuff. I think that's the opportunity here. And I don't mean this as like some sycophant. I, I am not a sycophant for, for people or politicians or athletes or anything. But, you know, good people do put things out in the world. And when they do put something out in the world, I think if you're a good person, you have a responsibility to help them do that. And and that's what I'm going to keep trying to do. It sounds like what a lot of you guys are trying to do. And let's just keep going. I'm muted, muted, I'm muted. Dave, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, man. And you're welcome to jump in anytime in the future. Hopefully, you'll get another thread soon. Thanks a lot, Dave. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take good care. Stuff, man. Take care, man. Bye-bye. That was a great discussion. I'd love, I'd love, uh, I'd love, because I know we've got a lot of panelists um, here that can give us a lot more insight into the discussion of censorship. I do want to go to Zach. Zach, you've got a really interesting story. I'm bringing up, okay, a lot of people have dropped. Let me bring a few more people up. Um, Nick even dropped. Let me bring Nick up. Uh, but Zach, are you still with us? Okay, did Zach drop as well? No, he, oh, Zach, you're here. He's here. I'm, I'm, I'm here. How are you, Zach? What are your thoughts after this discussion, man? I'm great. I'm a few minutes. Yeah, give us, you, you, you know, you, you're a Google whistleblower. Um, it's like a, a very quick one-word summary of, of your, your, you know, the, the insight that you can bring to the, to the panel. Would love your take on the discussion now, your take on Twitter's position now, and what you expect to see in the next few months based on your experience. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so what people mostly don't know is that I was working with Dave Rubin uh, to try to get him uncensored on the inside of uh, YouTube when I was working there. And uh, this kind of led me into a deep dive of uh, YouTube's censorship system. And I basically found out that there were a lot of these labels that were being applied to Dave Rubin that was being fed into the artificial intelligence machine. And uh, a lot of the things that he was saying about these labels being applied at Twitter really echoed a lot with what I was experiencing within YouTube. And so it's this sort of this mess uh, no one knows exactly what's happening, except that there are labels that are being applied. And when those labels are being applied, that's fed into this censorship engine, which just is determining what we can see and what we can't. And I've got to catch a plane right now. I'm actually... No, I appreciate it, Zach. Would love you in the future. Yeah, no worries, man. And that kind of gives me... You know, that's the next point I want to bring up, um, Ian, is that... The same censorship we're seeing on Twitter now and that's being uncovered, the same thing we saw with Twitter files. Twitter files, as, as name redacted, brought to our attention earlier. Twitter files, the, the, you know, Twitter hiring, you know, ex-FBI employees that influenced a lot of decisions within Twitter. The same thing's happening on other social media platforms. And Mark and Andreessen kind of implied that slightly. Yeah. It, it, 
Depends. I think it depends on different social media platforms. But Meta, for example, does look like they're doing it on a bigger that's degree. Right. I think Google, um, uh, this is something that's been approached in Congress itself where uh, they testified. You have, you know, I forget exactly when, it might be 2017 or 2018, when a, uh, uh, an algorithm expert uh, testified before Congress and explained how Google is suppressing any sort of conservative search results uh, from being shown in the news. Uh, that was Robert Epstein, I believe, who did that. Epstein, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. By the way, Nate, I'd love you on stage as well. I've just sent you through an invite. Um, but what, like another, if anyone hasn't read the thread, and I know I've got a lot of panelists, I'll give them the mic. I don't want to hog the mic for too long. But if anyone's read the thread, it just feels like there's, uh, you know, I think Dave uh, described it as a dumpster fire. It just feels like Elon just took over a complete mess of a platform. Um, and and the results will take a long time. I think it will take a year That's or two to really see the results. Everything, right? I mean, but what's but Ian? What, what happened? Like Dave was talking about the engagement on Twitter was a bit weird. Like when when Elon first joined, it picked up, and then now it's kind of seeming weird. What does he mean by weird? What are you seeing on the engagement okay, so on the Twitter? Engagement is it Twitter just a, has been down. is it across the board? Right, it's been down for a lot of users because uh, they feel like they're they're being shadow banned or something, right? Like so, their tweets are just not showing on people's uh, uh, feeds. I mean, they are showing a lot of people's feeds, obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be getting any sort of engagement at all. But the numbers are a lot lower than when, you know, when when Elon first took over. So something has changed there, like the way it shows tweets for you and tweets chronologically. Uh, before, you know, it would automatically lock to whatever it is uh, you saved it to. And now it's not doing that. So a lot of the, uh, the numbers are obviously down. And, uh, you know, Elon has to work on that. He did promise that in February, uh, which is just a few days from now, uh, they will be changing it so that people can uh, save the setting to for, uh, from before you, which is a recommended feed. You know, obviously the name needs to be changed uh, to the chronological timeline, so that way they can actually see the latest tweets without having to, uh, you know, change the setting manually every single time they log into Twitter. So that is that is one solution. The other solution, I mean, the other problem is that like why aren't people's tweets showing up at all like there are people on my timeline that i've been following for ages and i don't see their tweets at all right it's only after i reply to them once or twice that that it starts uh you know filling up my timeline and and that is something that they really do need to address because it is severely impacting users who i would say not low uh follower users you know so people with you know less than five thousand followers probably aren't experiencing this and people who are basically celebrities meaning you know 500 thousand and upwards like your own account i don't think you're really noticing this i'm not really noticing this either because uh my tweets get amazing engagement but i'm seeing this with a lot of mid-level accounts meaning you know anywhere between thirty thousand followers to say three hundred thousand followers these uh these accounts have been really uh, severely impacted by the way the algorithm works i think uh, i think what Dave- and we're seeing a uh- one, one quick question. Sorry, Sam. Just one quick question to Ian and Alex, and then I'll give you Sam, Aaron, Jim, uh, Nick, Jim, the mic. But one last question, guys. It, uh, the metrics across the board on Twitter, are we seeing less users on Twitter? Are we seeing less engagement across the board? Um, or is it purely for specific, specific users? Specific users. Specific users. Like, I don't think engagement itself has gone down. Like I said, with my own account, I haven't really noticed any uh, any drop in engagement at all. If anything, my the videos that I post get way more engagement than they used to. Like It used to be sort of capped, like, you know, back in the day, right before Elon took over, uh, I would get a maximum of 30,000 views. Now I'm seeing 100,000, 200,000 views per tweet. 
tweet, right? So I'm obviously not affected by this and whatever change they did make was actually positive for my account. But I can't say that the same thing is true for a lot of mid-level accounts that are, you know, have lower uh, followers than I do. Uh, they're not seeing as much engagement. Like you're not even seeing their tweets and that is something that they have noticed. If you go into the analytics at Twitter, right, it's analytics.twitter.com, you can actually track uh, what your engagement is. And if it shows you, you know, if it's like redlining, it's it's uh, down like 40% or something, it will actually show you there. So you can actually see if you've been affected by this, uh, the change in the algorithm. Yeah, you know, I used to have huge engagement when I was on the radio uh, back from 2007 up to 2010, 2006 to 2010. I would get massive engagement on Twitter. I went to Congress and I shut it down. But when I left Congress and I was engaging on Twitter, it was nothing. And then even before I started doing Twitter spaces a little bit, uh, I was getting just immediate massive engagement. So there there have been changes, but I see so many people complaining. And they also said that for you section was causing problems for people. I'm not so convinced that that's the problem with it. I think it is uh, just some of these uh, Frankenstein remaining dead flesh things that he's dealing with. I was definitely I mean, affected I, I, by I, the just... dead flesh thing that you just spoke of. You know, sorry to interrupt, Sam. Um, yeah, like uh, I was locked out of, I wouldn't say locked out of my account, but rather locked out of certain features on my account. Like normally, if you want to buy advertisements, you can, right? I mean, you just go to ads.twitter.com and then you apply it to your account. When I was affected by this, I could not even buy ads because it would not automatically populate the uh, the the, uh, the account space, right? Where it says which accounts do you want this uh, ad to be applicable to? It would not find my account. Like you couldn't even search for me in the search bar. Like you had to be following me in order to see my name even populate there. And for a while, you know, sometimes it would show up, sometimes it wouldn't. For the most part, it wouldn't. And I wasn't even able to. Uh, let's say I'm using a business account or somebody else's account, right? I'm, I'm logged in there and I want to share a piece of media using the uh, creative center or like the media center, I could not even share any tweet or image with my own uh, at still gray account. Like it just wasn't populating. It was, uh, it would show you a number of uh, a parody accounts that people have made of me over the years. Right. <laughs> and, and those that populate just fine, but my own account would not even be visible. So I was like effectively, uh, you know, I was visibility filtered, so to speak. We had a couple of so I'll go, we'll go quickly if you, uh, Justin, you just dropped out. I'm not sure if you're speaking. I'll go to Alex, Sam, and Justin. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to touch on something that Ian had mentioned. Um, uh, so a lot of accounts that are higher engagement weren't noticing a drop-off when they introduced the For You feature. Um, basically because of how the algorithm and For You and Recommended works is if you engage with an account, uh, consistently, you're going to continue to see that account. Um, the reason why lower level and mid level accounts weren't um, seeing that same experience and they were seeing lower engagement is because if they're getting lower engagement, um, that's going to continue to be the case. They're not going to get any new exposure if you know it's not algorithmically being tailored to you know other people. So a lot of people saw the drop off when they were defaulted to the for you rather than. Um, the following, which is the default before. And uh, I just shared a tweet up, you know, in the nest from Andrea, who's a designer at Twitter that shows like a uh, preview of what the new feature is going to look, look like. Um, so you're going to be able to control your feeds and control which one you want pinned. And then like you've already mentioned, they're going to remember 
which one you had selected when you closed the app, because right now it defaults back to for you, which I think that was the main issue um, that people weren't realizing they were on the for you feed, like feed because they'd close the app and then come back and it would still, it would be defaulted to for you rather than the one that they had selected, which most users prefer following from what I hear. So just wanted to share that one. It's something um, that, that, that Dave highlighted, which I think is going to become pretty significant um, the more people think about it, is is the serious problem Elon has in front of himself. Anyone who's been involved in software development will know, you know, Twitter has had 17 years of different devs, engineers, software engineers, um, effectively plaster casting over issue after issue. And, you know, for this platform to work how Elon wants it to work, it may very well be that they have to do a complete rebuild behind the scenes, which is, you know, a year to two, a year to two years work. And all of these fixes that they're applying, as, as, as Dave pointed out, and I think we're seeing it all the time, they apply a fix and it creates a whole load of glitches. And that is a symptom of a, a product that's not been built from the ground up. Uh, that's a symptom of a product that is built up as, you know, tiramisu is a perfect analogy. Uh, that conversation with Dave has made me sit here thinking, holy shit, Twitter is a complete mess and it's going to need some serious fixes or it's going to probably most likely, and I brought it up when Dave was on, most likely Elon's going to have to do exactly what he did with Tesla and with SpaceX and effectively start from scratch after trying to, to sort of work with existing engineering. I think he probably will try to start from scratch, but you should also know this is something that plagues a lot of these companies there in San Francisco, just the SaaS and tech companies. I, I guarantee you anyone who's worked with Salesforce will know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, this is something that's got legacy upon legacy, but people's data in their business is built into there. So they're, they're kind of very sticky in there, right? And they're not going to abandon Salesforce. Whereas a lot of people, if they don't have the experience they want, uh, will maybe choose elsewhere from Twitter. I know I have several friends who have tried over the last three weeks to do this very interesting test. You might try it yourself, which is they've tried to post a tweet just publicly and see what type of engagement it gets over like a 12-hour period. And then they'll post the same tweet, but before they do, they'll take their account private. And they say all of a sudden engagement goes through the roof. So I don't know if that's an algorithm thing or what's going on. But this is something with with all these tech companies hitting 10 and 15 plus years, they're looking back at this legacy code and they wish they started from, they could start from scratch. So, so I want to get I mean, and they can they can migrate the data. I mean, I think that will probably be the, the approach. They'll do a rebuild on you know, I mean, again, the, the software languages update, you know, constantly. So I can see them doing a rebuild and then migrating the data and doing this all behind the scenes and then just literally doing a, a relaunch in, in two years or whatever and all the problems go away. In the meantime, they are just going to keep applying these fixes and we're going to keep getting glitches. And I think this may be why Twitter just did absolutely no updates for pretty much a decade in reality. Yeah, they added a few features here and there, but they couldn't even get the edit button you know, working, uh, you know, over a sort of 10 to 12 year period of talking about it. And I think we're starting to understand a little bit about what's been going on with Twitter behind the scenes and just what, what Elon has, has inherited here. Yeah. So, so let's get, uh, let's get Aaron in here and Tracy, I do want to get you in as well, but Caroline's also been waiting as well. So. Yeah. I had a document um, in my legal declaration, some of the ways in which the shadow banning had functioned on my account. And since last year I posted so much, information on, you know, scientific studies about 
the vaccines or about other COVID policies, I think my account was probably subjected to more deboosting, shadow banning than most, be- simply because of the kind of content uh, that I was frequently posting on Twitter. And a couple of experiences that I'm just wondering if other users have had. One was there was a time where my to- total number of followers was capped. So I would get notifications of new followers, but the, the total number of followers would not go up. And then I discovered after a while that people would reach out to me saying, uh, you know, I thought I'd been following you, but then I looked and it, that like the system had automatically unfollowed you. So I wasn't even following you anymore. And if this was just one or two people, I would have thought, well, maybe they accidentally unfollowed me. I didn't realize it. But I had many, many people reaching out and saying this. And some of those people had to do that every couple of weeks. So they would refollow me and then the system would boot them off again. And so it seemed to be particularly users with, a, you know, a higher a higher following themselves that would get sort of shuffled off the stage as new followers would come on. So I think the algorithm was operating in that way uh, for a while. And I think there were also time limited uh, sort of smackdowns because I would, I would post things that I knew would be sort of controversial vis-a-vis CDC guidance or whatever. And then I, I, I could feel very clearly that the algorithm had me in Twitter jail for like two weeks or three weeks typically was the period of time. And I could also feel the day in which that was, that was lifted and my engagements started going up again and my, um, you know, the, the feedback in the, in the comments and so forth started going up again. And so I think there's such a patchwork quilt of different sort of algorithmic piled upon algorithmic Uh, mechanisms. One is this zero to 300 scale where everyone was given a number at any given time of basically how much reach you were going to get on Twitter. Uh, That was revealed, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the Twitter files. But I think on top of that, there were also tweet specific sort of uh, punishments that were time limited and that would kind of, you know, put you or put any of your tweets that had certain types of content in Twitter jail for a while. And, you know, I, I think what, what happened, especially I suspect with the back and forth with government agencies and, you know, people sort of finding creative ways around saying what they wanted to say without saying it as explicitly, I think they kept just adding patch upon patch or new algorithm fix, you know, upon the old system and now we have, I think now they've gotten to the point where nobody can find their way through that, through that maze anymore. And um, it sounds like Elon's having a hard time unwinding that. It's sort of like the tax code. You know, it never gets smaller and simpler. It always just, you know, these, these new special situations arise. So you make a new law or a new algorithm to try to cover them. And then, you know, before long, you have this unwieldy monster that, you know, even the even the tax attorneys can't navigate very well. Tracy, I'll let you jump in because I, I, I want to keep this one of the short spaces that we do to cover a point, discuss it with Ruben. I'd love you to jump in and then we, we've got a few questions quickly to Caroline, Nate and Kyle. Uh, but Tracy, the mic is yours. Good to have you. Hey, thanks. Um, I just wanted to say thanks for having me up here. Um, wh- now it all makes sense why everybody's asking these absolutely mindless questions of everybody and then hoping that they answer. 
because I guess there was like an inside track to this algorithm that's keeping you relevant should you ask questions and get engagement rather than just having that be organic. People are like asking the most ridiculous questions. <laughs> it's getting crazy, but this answers the, the, the whole thing. Alex, can you go into that a little bit more before um, we end here? Because that's really, really interesting to me. You're just talking about the for you versus the following feeds. Yeah. Can you explain how that works? Because I'm not going to yeah. do that because I hate it, mm -hmm. but I'm curious how it works. Yeah. So I'm not sure how, how much you use Instagram, um, but this has been a problem on Instagram as well. Um, so basically, uh, again, we don't know the actual algorithm, but any type of algorithmic feed um, will feed off of your own behavior. And then it will basically create an echo chamber of your own behaviors because it will only show you stuff that you're constantly engaging with. So after a while, it then just becomes a very limited amount of users. Like you'll have your top 20 users that you engage with on Twitter. Um, but that, that creates the problem of you not seeing any new content. Um, whereas on the following feed, you're seeing a chronological feed of people that you follow, um, as well as people that they retweet as well. But if I'm only seeing the top 20 users, and that's even a big number, maybe the top 10 users that I'm engaging with, uh, I'm not seeing any new users, and it's naturally going to lead to uh, lower-level and mid-level uh, Twitter users to have lower engagement. Because, for example, I would say maybe the top 10 users that I'll engage with are like, you know, Elon Musk, Ian, like a bunch of people in this space. But then that leaves out, I'm following like over 1,400 other accounts. I'm probably not going to see any of the tweets from those accounts accounts if I'm just staying on the for you page. Um, and since that's now the default, a lot of users are probably scrolling on the feed, not realizing that they're on the for you feed and they're, you know, they don't notice. So um, that's just a little bit of, of my thoughts on it and stuff that I've noticed from being, you know, an Instagram user in the in the two years that I was suspended from Twitter is that a lot of people uh, were experiencing that same thing on Instagram when they made the change to an algorithmic feed. Um, so that's that's how that works. And, you know, I, I think they're making that change. So, Thank Hey, you. Caroline, I think you were next, and I think we were going to go to you. What's your question? Um, I actually – I had a question for Mario. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was on one of your spaces. I was just listening. And um, all of a sudden, the space, like, ended for me. I, I didn't have my, my phone in my hand, but, like, the audio in my AirPod, it just stopped. And so I went over and picked up my phone, opened Twitter, and this banner came up on the screen and it was like, you have Mario blocked. And I was like, I absolutely don't have Mario blocked. I was just curious, like, if you have seen any weird things with your account. I've never had uh, anything like that happen with anyone else's account. Cool. So I've got a, a cool answer that gets a good engagement and I've got the truth. So the cool answer is, Caroline, I think, you know, I'm having so much impact on the world that the deep state is trying to destroy my account and they're trying to block people immediately from me. Um, so it's all part of a plan to shut me down because, you know, I'm influencing the world to such a massive degree. Uh, the, the truth matrix. is I have 
Uh, the truth is, <laughs> the truth is, I have no idea. It was funny, Sam, about the Matrix. It's funny how how uh, Andrew Tate's lawyer goes like they ask him about the Matrix. Like, hey, I have a professional job. I don't talk about things like this. I don't think it has anything to do with the Matrix. And that was Andrew Tate's lawyer. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's weird, Caroline. Uh, we've seen a lot of glitches here and there. Uh, I've had people unfollowed from my account uh, without knowing. I think Alex or Trey, someone mentioned that earlier. Um, it's off, but. Um, and I'm glad you're not blocking me, and I'm definitely not blocking you as far as I know because I was looking at your account earlier today. Um, so we're chill. We're, good. we're still friends. <laughs> I will say Thank that. You, you know, yeah, I will. Sorry. I will say that the uh, the For You tab is pissing a lot of people off. And I don't mean people in this space. I mean people particularly on the left because uh, they're not following either me or Elon Musk. But whenever we interact with each other, uh, it shows up on their timelines and they rant about it. Like I, I do a name search sometimes. Because I do that because it's fun. And I see people complaining about why am I seeing Elon Musk's songs and Elon Musk's tweets in my timeline? I don't even follow either of them. And it's just it's just funny to see that. But it definitely has gained me a sizable chunk of followers, I think, from people. Ian, you've got, you've got the silver medal. Silver medal for the most people blocked. Uh, the gold medal goes to Kim. <laughs> the silver medal goes to you. How many people does he have blocked? I have like 14,000 people blocked. Kim Kim has uh, uh, 28 million more than the users on Twitter. Uh, 280 million, sorry. <laughs> he, blo- he has he has a system where he blocks someone three times. <laughs> oh my! It's no wonder um, uh, you know no one can really join his spaces and people complain about when he's like. I, I love uh, this is a joke by the way. Everyone listening, like I love Kim and and Kim was there. I think Kim was in my first. Twitter space ever since my comeback. He was there debating the economy with Tom Nash. So uh, uh, Kim, me and Kim go not way back, but way back in Twitter Twitter space terms. Um, and he always likes to grill me, and, and I should start grilling him too to make it he's even. He's a great guy. You should grill him. Yeah, he's... I mean he's uh, <laughs> he, he grills everybody else like he's like a detective. You know, he asks <laughs> yeah, hard questions, but nobody asks him the hard questions. So maybe he, he might block you, Mario. Then we're all. I do. I do. No, he gives me leeway. So he, I'm one of the few. Gives me leeway to kind of. I used to challenge him a lot before. Uh, but now I just get other speakers to challenge him and get blocked by him, so it's easy. I'm, Whenever I Kim, mistake, I made the rookie mistake of interrupting Kim on the first basis I joined you guys with. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Kim is that funny. Was, that was scary. Uh, I want to go to Sebastian's the hardest core guy. You do not do not talk over Sebastian. Ah, oh, Sebastian. He, 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 he I'm speaking, and he it's does. Amazing. <laughs> take, yeah, it's take amazing. Take you down. Tear people down. <laughs> He's such a good speaker. But both, yeah. but both Sebastian and, and I want to get back. I want to go to Name Redacted and, and um, Kyle to kind of wrap up the space. But both Sebastian and Kim have, by, for me, some of the best voices and the most artic- best way to they articulate do. points. It's just so easy to just, it, it just get attention. I like to listen to them as well, and I like I, I'm, I disagree with them, but I'm like. But I like their voice too much to disagree with them. Seb <laughs> has this amazing radio show. I don't know if you've listened to it. It's got like, you know, millions of listeners every day. And, you know, it's just him speaking for two hours with his, you know, his regular voice. I mean, this is his regular voice, right? But it's like he's such he's such a commanding presence that even if you disagree with him, you cannot help but pay attention to what he's saying. I want to oh, go. Totally. I want to kind of wrap up. I, I want to wrap up the space with like final thoughts from Kyle and uh, Name Redacted, Nick. Uh, guys, you've both been in the space so many times, giving us insight on the influence, especially with the Twitter files, to some of the regular guests, um, on the I- impact or influence of um, the FBI and other governmental organizations on Twitter. Would love your thoughts on what was discussed now with Dave um, and your thoughts on whether that is pretty much wiped out of Twitter now and how do you think Elon will deal with that issue, with that pressure from organizations like the FBI, etc.? Um, you know, 
with him kind of attacking them through the Twitter files. Carl, maybe you want to take that one first. Yeah, I uh, I don't think that the FBI is capable of any sort of uh, meaningful self-reflection, and I don't think that it has any reason to slow down. It just got another one point five billion dollars from the uh, you know from the omnibus bill that 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 is going to feed their funding. I think that the the people that are involved in Bronze Griffin are going to continue doing that program and engaging with tech companies because Twitter is by no means the biggest. In fact, it's one of the smaller of the tech uh, companies. They've got massive amounts of money that come in from these other ones and they engage with them, whether it be Amazon web services and so on. Um, so th- there's no real indication that that should happen. I do think it's interesting to note uh, the, sort of the, uh, the tiramisu model and that there are like, it, it actually makes the, the government's job a little bit more uh, easy to disguise. I think, because if you have tech that is, that is struggling, if you have code that is failing if you have this sort of ongoing censorship and, and some legacy employees that still have an ideological bend that they're, they're willing to exercise, and you add that all in to you know, uh, the government going in and, and adding their, their two cents and weighing down on the scale, um, that's a really, really difficult problem to suss out. Like, How do you even figure out who is who? How do you ever uh, attribute any particular action? Like My buddy, uh, Real Steve Friend, who's uh, one, of the, one of my uh, partners in, in whistleblowing, has had a lot of his stuff uh, search banned and shadow banned. And, so, and, and they're specifically maligning the FBI by just exposing some of the dirty laundry of the Bureau. Um, is that an accident? Is that a code problem? Is that because there's an issue with media tweets that have text or code or, you know, or, um, what do you call it, like visual text? Or is it an actual you know, request by the Bureau? And so when you, when you have that many possibilities, uh, I, think it's, I think it's really scary because we can't really get to the bottom of it easily. And I'm going to co-sign on loving Sebastian's voice. When I get him to laugh when we're off camera, that's actually my favorite thing to do because he, if you say something that he's not ready for, it's, uh, it's like a really good hearty belly laugh. It's like a Sebastian. Sebastian laughs? <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I, I want to get cut. I want to catch Kim laughing because Kim has two laughs. The one where he just laughs at someone or what they're saying because he disagrees. That one is an evil laugh. But I've never caught him. I don't think I don't know if he's laughed on a call we've had. Uh, I don't know. But I want to catch him where he's genuinely laughing at something. I think he does. I think it would be like such a deep, warm laugh. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I think I wanna, he sounds I'm, to I'm me a lot place. more serious. I'm in last place when it comes to the blocks. I have zero people blocked on Twitter, and I don't intend to block anybody. Yeah, I, I used to not block anyone, but then it gets to a stage where you, I have like you can count the people I block on like two hands, like less probably less than ten. But then I, I have a rule where I unblock them after a month because uh, I just feel bad blocking people. It's like I'm the opposite of Ian. Uh, Ian blocks more people than I have as followers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Let's see. laughs> and, 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 and by patience. the way, uh, just to add to what Kyle was saying, so um, I, I want to ask name redacted a question because, you know, he you had a post recently and uh, Attorney General Jeff Landry down in Louisiana, who I'm talking to, and we want to try to bring him up because you had some stuff that you revealed on that. But I'm curious name redacted what do you how do you see some of the stuff that you've been laying out that like you've exposed hundreds of uh cia and fbi agents that have uh, gone out of those agencies and into social media how do you see what you saw dave rubin talking about kind of sinking into some of the stuff that you've been revealing um well first off um these cia agents and fbi agents all these people working at social media they expose themselves they put their profiles publicly on LinkedIn. Some of them have Twitter accounts, and they don't hide their former work experience. So, uh, secondly, uh, with 
what uh, Dave Rubin's experience was. Uh, I think Elon has two issues. One of them is probably easier to fix because most of the, I'd say probably over 90% of the Twitter staff was left-leaning and probably very hard left-leaning. So that's probably an easier part to fix. The second part that he's fixed and you can read in the thread I posted up at the in the nest up top is what I found last weekend um, Jack Dorsey testified to the Senate Intel Committee uh, referring to the law enforcement agencies and the government as their partners and then he asked the Senate for more help partnerships with law enforcement and asked for a single point of contact because they're getting bombarded from multiple agencies. So Jack, th- this whole idea Twitter has been, was pressured to censor is completely false. Like Jack Dorsey and Facebook and Google, they were willing partners in the system that um, CISA pretty much set up um, as sort of the central player to connect social media companies and, uh, the other government agencies uh, to basically uh, push material out on the platforms that they wanted censored. So it, this was a voluntary effort by Jack Dorsey. So and I laid that out. It, it's his own words. So Elon Musk has to, I mean, is he still participating? You know, CISA has these calls every month. Where they discuss the agenda and Facebook is the industry lead on those calls. This is all from the deposition in the Landry case. Um, Aaron, that's the one you're involved in, I assume. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Landry is the AG from Louisiana and, uh, well, formerly Schmitz. He's now a Senator. He filed it from Missouri, but they have a new AG now in the case. And yeah, Nick, I I can talk about a little bit about the CISA, which is agency that most Americans have never heard of uh, brilliant government acronym, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Just in case you wondered what they did, they put the, the same word twice uh, in their acronym. So they're all about security and they were stood up around 2016, 2017 uh, to protect us from cyber attacks, uh, which seems like a pretty sensible thing for a government government agency to do. But, um, Within a year or two into their existence, they, they seem to have decided that the main threat to, you know, our digital infrastructure in the United States was not computer viruses or malware or, you know, th- things of that nature. But the main threat was what they called, co- in, in a wonderful Orwellian euphemism, cognitive infrastructure. So you might wonder, what is cognitive infrastructure? Well, cognitive infrastructure is your ideas. Cognitive infrastructure is the content that you or your friends may want to post on social media. So they very quickly, only a year or two into their existence, got into the censorship game. Um, And they they partnered with four private entities, one at Stanford, one at University of Washington, and and two other nonprofits that were sort of like revolving door between um, government agencies and the in the nonprofit world, so a, a very incestuous sort of coalition of this agency and four private uh, nonprofits. And I, you know, I think this agency was sort of, as far as I could tell, at the, the center of 
the government censorship regime with various folks going out to other federal agencies, whether HHS or uh, Department of Defense or Department of Homeland Security. So, so far in that case, I think there's at least 17 federal agencies that have been implicated. But this one, Sizer, CISA, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, seems to uh, have been quarterbacking a lot of this, uh, a lot of this work. I, I just want to make one other legal point that I, I think is important for folks. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks on Twitter, there's a lot of folks on this call who don't engage with Twitter in order to share their own content, by and large. You know, they rarely tweet, they rarely post, uh, they follow some people that they're interested in, and, and they go on Twitter to get news or to get opinions or to get perspectives. And that's more or less how they engage with the with the platform. Um, and the Supreme Court has made it clear that the First Amendment right to free speech, with the, which the government has to respect, that right exists not just for the person who wants to say something, right? So the, the speakers can get on here and complain about how we've been shadow banned and Twitter did this to me and Facebook did that to me and so forth. And that's definitely a problem, right? If you're on the speaking end and you're not allowed to say what you want to say or, you know, you could say it, but you're speaking into the void because the algorithm sort of erases it from existence. But the Supreme Court has made it clear that free speech exists not just for the speaker, but also for the listener. Uh, and they've made it clear in several precedent-setting cases that the First Amendment right to free speech is important, uh, not only for the right to convey information, but also the right to receive information, uh, the right to uh, receive information from both sides of a debate on a debated question. Um, for example, so that people can make up their own minds. So even if you haven't personally experienced censorship on social media platforms, you know, because of how you engage with it, or you just, you know, post pictures of kittens or something like that, that no algorithm is going to ban, you may also still be impacted by the censorship regime, just in terms of what you're able to see and the information that you're able to get. And that's why I think this is an important issue you know, for all Americans, not just ones with, you know, a bigger following or a potential microphone that are being sort of put under the thumb of the censorship regime. Carl, I saw you know, your uh, react. Yeah. I'll, let you, I'll let you quickly respond, Kyle. And then we'll go to Brickshoot, final quick words, Nick, final quick words, and then we'll wrap up the space. Kyle, the mic is yours. Thanks so much. Hey, I, I really appreciate what Aaron had to say and bringing it back to this cognitive infrastructure discussion. It's, it's so important that people realize and, you know, you call it Orwellian. Let's just break it down to what they're saying. They're doing thought policing and, and that they actually think they have a mandate to do so is, is sort of incredible. They've couched it in sort of intel terms and, and government speak to do that. But this has actually permeated other members and other parts of the, um, the intelligence community. And it's kind of timely that we're talking about it in that setting. I literally got a, a message today earlier, which I've already gone, gone, gone to Congress with. And the statement was as follows. I had a colleague, a former colleague, since I'm not really with the Bureau at this point, who is being investigated by the FBI for God knows what stupid uh, procedural thing they're doing because they're removing uh, clearances from a number of people that have gotten engaged in whistleblowing. And this person was queried about their stance on January 6th and if it was or was not as big a deal as 9-11. Like that has some sort of bearing on your job. They also wanted to know this person's uh, stance on LGBT issues, which is irrelevant as long as you don't take them into your job. And then they were also queried about their religion. And so when you start getting into the business of thought policing, 
which is what we've seen our government get into. Of course, it's going to come down in censorship on this kind of stuff, but it's incredibly dangerous because it's also going to happen internally. So there's an external phase that's going to affect private citizens and their ability to digest information and have access to the, you know, the full spectrum of good and bad opinions, whatever those may be. And they should be able to suss that out because they're free Americans. But the other part of it is, is that our government is actually trying to do it internally as well to the agencies. And, and they're trying to get this sort of thought purity inside of the intelligence community and, and you know, project across the, the, the general spectrum. And that is such a dangerous place to be because American government should represent all Americans. That's the entire reason why we have a representative democracy or a representative republic. And, and if we're not going to have that, we're going to end up in totalitarianism in a very, very fast way. And I don't know if people understand how bad that gets. But, you know, those who have been to have seen the wars against this kind of thing, it's really bad and it gets bad really fast. So Kyle, I just want to be aware did, of like thought piecing. Did I hear that right? That they're doing ideological purity testing, like political purity testing in the federal government on federal employees. Is that correct? Yeah, that's 100 percent correct. As of today, I was just informed oh, that wow. people like like what you, what your religion is. By the way, there's no ability to have that discussion within the federal government. Like anybody who's been to any sort of HR training should know this. But the people that are running the FBI and I imagine some of the other agencies do not have any they, they have substantive background they have background that is um related to their specific field and maybe their their agency's like overall mission but they're not trained like fbi agents are not trained to do hr but they're the managers and so if they're doing this wild stuff and they are um and people can you know listen to my podcast and hear what they talked to my buddy steve friend about when they interviewed him these things are ongoing and it's just getting worse they're isn't not scared there, of it. Because... Isn't there like a First Amendment argument against this? I mean, in some way that these FBI agents who have been terminated, you know, perhaps unlawfully, could they fight back against this? Because, I mean, this seems like a freedom of religion, freedom of thought sort of issue, right? Yeah. So if you go back and you look at what sort of protections you have as a whistleblower and other things, there's actually no teeth in these. And who's going to investigate it? So, Ian, you just have to ask yourself the question, who's going to go investigate the DOJ? Who's going to prosecute DOJ for the things that it's done wrong? Who's going to hold the FBI accountable? Is it the Office of the Inspector General who literally goes out, makes a recommendation, and then DOJ says, thanks so much, uh, we'll do nothing about this and let this person retire. So that's that's been the business as usual. It's just gotten to the point where I think that uh, more people have the ideological bend than not at the top of these organizations. So we're actually starting to see it poke out into, into public life. And when that starts happening, that's what people are realizing right now. Some of this stuff has been there for a long time. I mean, whistleblowers have always been treated terribly uh, by our federal government because it's just it's antithetical to the workings of the government, which wants to keep going. It's just something you know, I want uh, you guys to be aware of. When they're policing thought, you know, they, they can come for all of us. You know, and uh, I think just to, to make that rabbit hole a little deeper before we move on to Brick, like uh, Nick, name redacted um, – this CISA organization is really scary, and, and I didn't quite realize it until just these Twitter files started to come out. You know, they they tried to proclaim that this was – 2020 was the most secure election ever, and then you realize the security that they were thinking about was shutting down Donald Trump not or, or and similar things, not – not trying to make sure that uh, machines didn't get hacked. But, I mean, I know you've looked at this closely. How bad is the CISA issue? Because I think that adds right on top of some of the stuff that Kyle's talking about. Well, two points on that. There's one issue that's a problem with CISA is that uh, Vijaya Gade at Twitter was working there on some advisory committee all of 2022. So that's sort of a conflict, right, if they're also going and telling Twitter what posts to take down. Secondly, the whole point of CISA is this apparatus that they created 
of censorship and what Kyle said of like basically thought policing was set up under this guise of like Russian disinformation and why Trump originally got elected and how to like avoid that, you know, for the, you know, the 2020 election. So they started out of the gates. CISA was founded in November of 2018 and they admitted in the uh, deposition that's in that thread that they started right away having these monthly conference calls with social media in 2018. And the whole purpose was to police like thought and control the narrative. And out of the gates, the purpose was the 2020 election and they were aggressive with it. And that apparatus, and they were successful. And that's why you have this, everyone saying 2020 was the safest election, which is, you know, whatever. But now that they have this apparatus, this machine in place to like work with social media, uh, to like censor whatever they want, as you've seen with COVID and whatnot, they're using it for everything. COVID, vaccines, Russia, Ukraine. If you're... At, that is what needs to be shut down because that we are not like a free country. It's a total infringement on our First Amendment rights to have the government working and social media partnering willingly with them to like take down and do whatever they say. Basically, the government is writing the policy for Facebook. And if Google. you're that's why Dave... Project Veritas is this video got taken down on YouTube. And then to go a little deeper along the same timeline, starting in 2018, there was a flood of like over 300 former intelligence community people that were hired by social media companies. And you have former CIA officers that are managing misinformation departments at Facebook and Google all started in 2000. Yeah, this this is, yeah, this, this is huge. If info, I mean, and we're going to keep kind of expanding that discussion, particularly as uh, stuff breaks out over time uh, here in the space. But uh, I want to pitch it over to Brick before Mario uh, goes in to uh, start closing things down. Brick, what you got? Brick suit, you there? Can you unmute? You're not muted. Yeah, I think he's glitching. All good. Um, no, I think Brick suit will have you. Never mind. No, well, he, he tried to unmute, it didn't work out. But uh, we'll wrap it up. Oh. Any final words? Ian, Jim, Nick, any final quick words? Uh, before we wrap up the space? Yeah, um, I'll go first. Uh, I think we are living in a brave new world, and it's up to us to figure out how to traverse it. And right now, it looks like Elon's offering us a cap. Yeah, I can hear you now, yeah. Yeah, why don't you go first, Brick? Yeah. Right. Can't hear yeah. us now. Yeah. I can hear us, Brick? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, Mike is yours, man. All oh, yours. Man. Now, let's wrap it up, thank man. You, you, got, you got the final word. Thank you for bearing with me there. I just want to mention something I haven't heard. <laughs> oh, good. So far, we've talked a lot, and we know a lot about the type of censorship that's happening on Twitter that's coming from the top down, i.e. when the governor, you know, when the government is saying, look out for this, take a look at this tweet, that kind of thing, here are the terms. What we haven't really seen discussed much is how much of this censorship is coming from the bottom up. Now, we, we know that Twitter is dealing with their legacy uh, reporting process whereby users can report other tweets. So I think there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that really hasn't been explored yet. How much does that type of input from people influence who's getting censored or does it? And, you know, if I was one of those woke leftists in Twitter who had access to the code base, why would I discount this as something that it would, that would, you know, basically get into the shadow banning somewhere in the the occasion like for instance 
if you've got an account that's receiving a large number of complaints, that seems to me that that would be indicative that that account should be downranked. Now, that totally doesn't even deal with the fact if if the complaints are legitimate. So there could be an issue where things like what would be called brigading on other platforms or group reporting could be influencing some of these some of these some of these de- uh, accounts negatively that aren't showing up on these top level labels that are coming from like recent strike, recent this, recent that, and it's just a preponderance of reporting. And I think that you know if if Dave has a chance to go back there or the next person who does, that would be an interesting angle to pursue because I think a lot of people are beginning to have questions about how the reporting procedure for violations is being used when it's received by Twitter. I agree. I think you started chopping up at the end. I don't know if it was on my end or everyone's end. No, but no, I got I, it. I yeah. oh, okay, cool. We've got it. Ian, Jim, Nick, Sam, and Justin. Just a quick final words. Keep it short, guys. Yeah. Um, and then we'll wrap up the space. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, we are living in a brave new world right now. And uh, fortunately, Elon Musk has offered us a path forward, one that is, uh, you know, that actually is going to bring us to a much better place. Uh, because right now we're in a dark time where censorship has become normal, it's become normalized, and people are calling for more censorship and more censorship of political speech. I'm not talking about, you know, crimes or whatever, right? I mean, certain things that are certainly not part of free speech, uh, such as, you know, um, posting child pornography, for instance. Uh, the, the the way forward, you know, and it, it, this is this is crucial, right? Without free speech, we will be unable to even be the um, you know the deciders of our future, the deciders of our, our, our the world that we live in. If we're not allowed to express ourselves, and it's unfortunate that you know companies like Meta and companies like Google have gone on you know on board with uh, with this uh, you know establishment of uh, the established narrative, and Twitter seems to be the only company, the only major company right now that's fighting against it. And I hope that this will perhaps uh, awaken a lot of people who work at these other uh, companies to realize that, okay, maybe maybe what they're doing is wrong. And they, they can see the, the rise in popularity on Twitter, as, as noted with the uh, spaces, how big these places get. You know, we got 10,000 listeners, 10,000 actively engaged listeners. I hope that they see what's happening and they're like, okay, maybe Elon's got the right, you know, he's doing the right thing and that we need to do the same thing just to, if only to compete with him. Now, for, for that to happen, I mean, he's going to need our support and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all on board with this. So, you know, I hope that the rest of you guys are too. Go ahead, Jim. Nick. Sad. Right, well, I, Come on, yeah, guys. Yeah. So, I, suddenly all, suddenly I, I no, no one's rude anymore. Know, suddenly no everyone's shy. waiting for anyone. You're <laughs> all shy. All you're all, you're what happened? Polite my ass, man. My ass. Be yourselves. Come on. Jump and argue with each other. <laughs> no, no. Look, I, I think my, my thought on this real quick is that, that we're, we're basically – there are a lot of people who want to put this in a rear view mirror. I mean, the only reason this has really taken the dynamite sort of course that it has is because of the last three years over COVID, right? There was like this great sort of gap the government saw. Oh my gosh, super vulnerable. We can totally insert ourselves. People aren't watching. Let's crush this right now, right? But I think uh, what I'm hearing on a lot of conversations, a lot of people just kind of want to put it behind them. So we've, we've got to put the pedal to the metal and make sure people know uh, I, I, I have uh, conversations with two select committees on Wednesday to talk about some COVID issues. I guarantee you they don't have a clue about some of this stuff there. So we've got to find other channels beyond Twitter to make this known. But keep pushing here because this is where everything starts. 
Well, I, I just got very briefly to say that I'm opening a book on what happens first, whether SpaceX makes it to Mars, Tesla launches a Cybertruck, or Elon Musk manages to fix Twitter. So that's my word for the day. Let's see what happens Cybertruck. I want to make uh, one more. I hope so, because I've got five ordered. If I can, one more. Go ahead. Um, Sure. We need to step back from just the Twitter file part of it and understand that what took place, it was, from the government's perspective, uh, was basically a response to an emergency. And that emergency was Donald Trump getting elected. So they literally ran a major operation. The operation was the CISA, you know, apparatus to control what was on social media. They were successful with it, and now they're running the same drill with COVID and everything else. That is what that operation needs to be exposed, and that that apparatus at CISA needs to be torn down. Lastly, I found. Like a director. Uh, I think we're losing them there. Your mic, uh, yeah, Nick, yeah, your mic is really you, bad. Go ahead. Jim and Nick, final words? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, I definitely want to say I'm encouraged by what Dave Rubin reported about Elon's behind-the-scenes sentiments about Twitter. He did say that Elon was very, very genuine about his goals, about sort of rooting through the issues that are there in, in terms of fixing the shadow banning thing. I know that's been a huge complaint among people, even recently saying, or at least claiming that they've been shadow banned and their tweets aren't getting as much reach and everything. But it seems like based on what Dave Rubin told us on this space today, he was able to uncover that there are a lot of tags that were, that were put in place that even the, the first level of, Twitter moderators weren't even able to see. So they couldn't go in and remove those tags and actually, quote unquote, unshadow ban these people. So they finally went through the source code and figured that out. And hopefully they will, they'll be able to permanently fix that issue. But I think we need to realize that this is a much more complicated problem than what we see on the surface and maybe have a little bit of faith in Elon to actually get it done in the long run. Yeah, on my end, I, I just want to see Elon Musk turn $44 billion into $100 billion. And I'm all in for that because I think a lot of people that get involved uh, here, creators and others, are, are going to benefit from that as well. Because, listen, um, you, you had a system in place, and, and uh, Name Redacted got bumped there for some reason, and, and he, he was making some good points. This CISA thing is really bad. A lot of what the government was doing is just horrible. I think uh, Elon's got a little bit of a handle on it, even though he's he's admitted that that he's got a lot of work to do. Um, but the guy is is very capable of putting people around him and building systems to fix all this. And the Twitter platform is the, kind of the last bastion uh, of free speech. And if he gets the Frankenstein dead skin off of this thing it can really make a, a huge difference for everybody. I think it already is making a big difference. And, and of course, with some more to do, and we watch it in our spaces here too. You know, I, I think Elon's doing a yeoman's job, but, you know, we see little glitches that come in here. Nonetheless, we got hundreds of thousands of people that are listening to what we're talking about, and they're in other places as well. I'm very, very excited for the future 
of uh, the the political and cultural discourse in this country, and uh, we're going to obviously stay here, making certain to uh, lay that help lay relay that foundation in a way that uh, that that gives everyone an opportunity. Cool. I want to ask the audience to do one thing. Um, completely off topic. Just thought of it now. I want you go go to the comments for a second because today's space is short, so I'm going to have some spare time. And I want you to give us some tips, some advice. Like, what do you want to see with spaces? What do you want to see with Twitter as well? I'm not Elon. None of us work at Twitter, um, but you know, we we I'm not going to message Elon about those things, but we can message the Twitter team as well. Anything interesting that you you guys share, um, you, you you guys and girls share. And another thing is the spaces. I'm really curious to see what the audience wants with the spaces. We've got a lot of ideas internally, but at the end of the day, we're doing all this for you, uh, for for the audience. So that's pretty much it. I think it was a great space. Really appreciate you all, and um, and I want to keep but, it short but, on but, purpose. But 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 you guys but, got to no, sign up for the newsletter too. Look yeah, at you, shill you man. You're shilling more than me now. Look at you. <laughs> remember, you remember. Make the promotion. <laughs> click in, click on the newsletter. You get, you buy one, get one free. You buy one newsletter, you get one free, even though it's free. Um, otherwise, appreciate you all. Hopefully, it's not breaking news today, so we keep recharging those batteries after yesterday. And I don't know about other panelists, especially the moderators, but yesterday was one of the best days in a really long time. And I literally sat home and did nothing. <laughs> that's that's how exhausted <laughs> I am from the spaces. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, nothing Man. for you, Mario, is only working eight hours a day. So, I miss just sitting there. I miss my life where I just sit there, <laughs> run my business, jump on calls with my team, and just relax. I can move away without a big, goofy headset on my head. So yesterday was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope we'll see you today if there's any breaking news. Otherwise, I think we have a space for tomorrow. So we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate you all. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye.